Swinet. It's time for a new era of communication in the swine industry. One that you can get the latest updates while commuting or driving to farms. Here you have the brightest minds of the global swine industry in your pocket. Always take a look at the microbiome, see what the microbiome uh, reveals. I, I would predict, Marcio, that in the future, in 10 years from now, microbiome is going to become PCR. That means every lab in any university or any lab in any company that, you know, makes science or that, you know, makes feedstops or any other, other kind of feed additive is going to have a microbiome station. Welcome to Swine Podcast. My name is Marcio Gonçalves, your host for today's episode. This episode is brought to you by Every Pig. The truth is, precision swine production is not the future, it is the present. Every Pig is the intelligent pig health platform. It is a simple yet powerful pig health and production management tool. Request a free 20 minutes demonstration at www.everypig.co. Hello everyone, today we're going to talk about microbiome, teasing out the buzz from the reality. Today we have Dr. Andres Gomez from the University of Minnesota. And uh, Andres, uh, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, thanks for inviting me. It's a pleasure for me to be here. Appreciate that. So Andres, uh, just to start things off, uh, if you can walk us through how did you get involved in pig production and uh, and talk a little bit about your career until today. Sure. So. I'm basically a microbial ecologist. Uh, that's my training. Yeah, that was my training during my master's and PhD. And my main interest is to investigate and explore the composition and function of uh, microbes in different systems. So I started my career studying soil microbes of, or microbes living in, in soil at different depths. Interesting. Uh, then I uh, passed or I moved on to looking at the microbiomes of uh, wild primates, specifically gorilla populations in Africa and also human populations oh, wow. uh, in, in, in the Central African Republic, just as a way to understand the evolution of the human microbiome and, and how uh, diverse lifestyles uh, have altered uh, the microbiome uh, to the point it it's become a little bit different from what our ancestors were supposed to have. So that was a very important, um, very important uh, topic in my research. It still is. Uh, but now as a, a faculty member at the University of Minnesota, I'm interested in the microbiome of food animals. And I have a very important research portfolio in, on, on the microbiome of swine. Uh, and, you know, basically exploring the swine microbiome and, and more importantly, trying to uh, look at uh, strategies to manipulate it uh, to improve health and performance in, in pig production systems. Very nice. That's a very uh, diverse background there uh, from gorillas in Africa to pigs in Minnesota. I love that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, but, but if you think about it, it's not that different. I mean, right. we can talk about it later in more detail, but, but the systems themselves, as far as the capacity to, you know, to metabolize different 
uh, substrates in diet is not very different from a gorilla, or comparing a gorilla to a, to a pig, actually. I can imagine that. Very nice. Well, since uh, we are at, at it, um, Dr. Gomez, if you can t tell us what is the microbiome? Well, the microbiome is basically defined as the collection of microorganisms that uh, colonize or inhabit different surfaces, either within animals or in the environment. So all the collection of cells that are uh, or that represent different microbes, even bacteria, fungi, viruses, and protozoa, is collectively known as the microbiome, along with the functions they encode. So it's not just the cells of the microbes uh, themselves, but also the functions, that, the metabolic capabilities that they have. Uh, so that's what we define as the microbiome. So the microbiome is not just confined to the gut. We have a microbiome also in the um, nasal surfaces, in the skin, in the reproductive tract, and, and anywhere you look at, we're just surrounded by microbes. This is a microbial world. That's, that's why the, the area of microbiomes is so exciting today. Very nice. Well, on that note, uh, why is there a hype about gut microbes in different areas of science? Well, uh, you know, the, the hype basically, I would say, so microbial ecology is a very old field. You know, if you think about what uh, Anton van Leeuwenhoek started doing with the first trials of the microscope and these little animalcules he saw in, the, in teeth scraping, he was doing microbial ecology. You know, he was basically looking at different... Mm -hmm. Uh, different microorganisms in, 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 in teeth surfaces. So, so the, the, those were the initial, let's say, the initial steps of microbial ecology, until what we know it, or as we know it today. And I, I think what revolutionized the microbial ecology or the microbiome field was uh, the implementation of molecular tools uh, to study the microbiome at, at high resolution and in, in many, many different subsamples simultaneously. So with the implementation of next-generation sequencing, we realized that the diversity of the microbiome in different systems, especially in the gut, in the human or animal gut, is incredibly high. So, so when we started you know, applying those molecular techniques to study microbiomes in different systems, we realized first that the microbiome is more diverse than we initially thought, and second, that the functions that the microbiome uh, uh, performs or encodes are essential for life as we know it, right? So, so all the functions the microbiome performs as far as nutrient processing, uh, nutrient synthesis, uh, the equilibrium between the microbiome and the immune system are functions that guarantee life as we know it. And without the microbiome, those functions would not be possible. So in other words, there's functions performed by the microbiome that guarantee life as we know it, and without these functions, we wouldn't be able to exist. So, so I, I think that's part of the reason, or that's the main reason actually, uh, there's such hype about the microbiome. You know, that we realize based on all these new molecular and sequencing techniques that we use to study microbes, we have realized that the functions that the microbiomes perform extend the physiological cap capacities of, of animals and humans in a way uh, uh, that would guarantee life. And, and without those functions, we wouldn't be able to exist. Interesting. Uh, yeah, there's, 
definitely has been an explosion in microbiome research in the last uh, few years, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and I think most of this hype began with uh, the work that uh, Jeff Gordon of uh, University of Washington started doing with, I don't know if you, if you know, uh, this is a quintessential paper on microbial ecology about transferring the microbiome from an obese mice to a mm. mice that is lean and looking at how the, the phenotype of, of obesity is transferred along with the transfer of microbes. So that shows that there are some functions performed by microbes as, as for example, energy harvest that can actually be transferred from one organism to another. So that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty amazing. Uh, so, so from those uh, you know, trials and those experiments performed by Jeffrey Gordon, then you know, we, we, we realized that, that this, the functions that the microbiomes perform, not only at the gut level, uh, but also, you know, the gut-brain axis. There's, there's constant communication between microbes in your gut and your brain. And we believe that there is an association between certain behavioral traits and the function and the composition of microbes in the gut. So that's another area that is receiving increasing attention today. Um, also, you know, the microbiome role in different diseases, for instance, in cancer, uh, we know that uh, there, is a, there is a connection between the presence and the function of certain microbes and the, develop, the developing of certain diseases uh, uh, as far as cancer, diabetes, autoimmune disease. So that's part of the big hype that we, we, we have about the microbiome today and the expectation that we can change things in the microbiome to alter phenotypes, which mm. we haven't been able to, to completely do but there's a lot of promise on that. So when you, when you think about microbes and the genetic makeup that you have, we're able to predict the probability of disease with higher confidence by looking at microbes compared to when we look at genomic regions in our own genome. So, you know, some people are predisposed to certain diseases because they have a mutation or they have a SNP in their genomes that, are, that is associated with that disease. But we realize that the predictive power of, of the genes, of the genomic makeup, is not as strong as the predictive mm -hmm. power of the microbiome when it comes to uh, predicting disease outcomes. Hmm. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Well, so on that note as well, what is the state, um, Andres, of the gut microbiome research in pig production and what can we conclude so far? Well, we, there, there's, there's been also an explosion of, of different work on, on analyzing and exploring the swine microbiome. The first uh, work just intended to look at that microbial ecology, especially along different segments of the GI, you know, when you compare small intestine, large intestine, feces, what is the microbial ecology on, on those specific segments? So, so the first work really intended to look at what, what is the composition of that microbiome uh, just to get a grasp of, of, of the, of the uh, microbial makeup and the functions they perform. So apart from that, then we've been moving uh, uh, from those, let's say, compositional surveys to specifically explore the function of those microbiomes, you know, what kind of functions those microbiomes are performing. And, 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 and then we've, we've been moving to actually exploring manipulation of those microbiomes to see if the if performance can be improved. So there is a lot of work being done on prebiotics, in probiotics as well, in different organic acids and other 
feed additives that we know have some influence on changing microbial composition. But the, the, the manipulation of the microbiome as far as, you know, you know, feeding, let's say, prebiotics and probiotics and looking at that response in the animal is not always uh, reproducible, which means we know there is a microbial ecology that is very specific along the GI of the pig. We know that by uh, incorporating different additives in feed, we're able to get some changes in the microbiome, but we're not always able to get a response as far as the phenotype we want to, we want to reproduce. And, and, and the reason is that the microbiome in pig systems is highly variable uh, across different individuals. So different individuals have very different microbiomes, even within the same species, you know, the, the basic commercial, the white pig. When you look at the, the, the different microbiomes in different, in different subjects, we see that the microbiome is highly variable. So that's one of the reasons why we haven't been able to replicate or to, to specifically manipulate microbes to improve specific phenotypes in pigs. So I think that that's the state of the art of the pig microbiome work today. First of all, looking at different, you know, looking at the, at the composition and the function of the microbiome uh, along different segments of the GI tract, and then trying to manipulate those, those microbial communities using different additives uh, to see if we can improve uh, performance and, and alter the phenotypes of those pigs except that these this responses are not always uh, constant and reproducible. Highly variable. Interesting. Um, one thing that you and I talked in the past, I believe, was the, you know, a lot of literature is, uh, uh, is inferring uh, association, right? And uh, there is some recent work that, that is doing some, more of a randomized type of approach, uh, even in that, you know, fecal transplantation, all that kind of thing. So can you give a comment to us and to our audience about, you know, the work done in microbiome on association and, you know, versus causation and, or causality? And, um, and where do you see that going? Is there, a, is there any type of trend there on the literature right now? I think most of the work produced right now, it's been based on association. So we know that by feeding certain additive, we see a change in the microbiome, but that doesn't really mean that we're actually targeting or tracing uh, the specific uh, uh, input that is causing that change in the microbiome. So this, this is what we call association. Also association is looking at the microbiome of different animals under different disease conditions. You know, the diseased animals have a different microbiome compared to healthy animals. But again, this is, a, this is an association right. uh, experiment. Uh, to move to causation, uh, there's different things that, that, that people are, being, uh, are doing in the field. So the area of, when you talk, when you talk about human microbiomes, there's a lot of hype in using uh, free germ mines, which is basically mines that have been devoid of uh, microbes. So that way you can transfer those, you can transfer different microbial community, uh, communities uh, uh, to mice that are free germ and see if phenotypes can be reproduced on those mice that didn't have a microbiome previously. Um, so, so, so that's when we are, uh, become a little bit closer to causation rather than association, right? In the, in the peak microbiome world, those words that uh, uh, re relate to, to causation rather than association are still in infancy. 
there's some work being done in fecal transplants in piglets and also in some other food animals, for example, in dairy systems. And what we see in this work uh, related to fecal transplants uh, to replicate or, or reproduce phenotypes is that um, the microbiomes that's being transferred uh, are difficult. It's difficult for those microbes to settle in the new system. Mm. That is, for, for a new microbe to, to colonize a new system, it has to, first of all, compete with the microbes that are already there and establish uh, themselves uh, so that, you know, uh, the communities can be settled there in that system. Uh, since we don't have a lot of opportunities to work with free germ pigs in, in, in you know, the, the pig production area, those, those uh, works and those experiments are very expensive. Uh, the work that has been done as far as looking at fecal transplants are, you know, conventional pigs. And what we realize is that for that microbiome to be transferred to one, let's say one pig that is high, that is high in production to a pig that is low in production and see if the phenotype can be transferred, uh, I think we're, we're very far away from that yet. Okay. Uh, because we, we, we need those microbes to be settled in the new system to be able to cause some sort of, uh, uh, some sort of change. So for me, the, the, the high promise would be on, on specific feed additives and looking at the effect of feed additives at the molecular level in pigs. So, so right now, I think people are doing uh, uh, work on moving from this composition service on the micro, of the microbiome to, to getting closer to the functionality of things. And, and the difference is that the techniques to study the microbiome in both cases are different. And, and of course, there's costs involved. Um, there's also a lot of promise with using organelles. And this is something we're doing here at the University of Minnesota. We're growing organelles, specifically colonoids and enteroids in vitro, mm -hmm. and treating those colonoids and those, in those enteroids with specific microbial communities but also with specific additives and see if we can look at the changes in the organelle itself uh, upon uh, this stimuli with different microbes or different, uh, or different additives. Uh, that's, a, that's a better way to get closer to causation, to get closer to the effect of specific additives or microbial communities in, in, a, in a very isolated part of the system but that's a start, you know, looking at how uh, microbes and feedstops interact in organoids to see if there are some changes in gene expression or changes in gut morphology that will help us get closer to uh, probably what's happening in vivo. Very interesting. Yeah, that's very cool research right there with us, uh, enteroids. Um, Dr. Gomez, what is the biggest misconception about the swine gut microbiome? Uh, I would say the, the biggest misconception, okay, so I think people in the field are starting to learn more about microbes today. Uh, one of the misconceptions that we have in, in, in those studies, whenever, you know, people in the industry approach us to conduct different studies or to, uh, you know, to see whether a specific additive they have would have an effect in the microbiome uh, is that uh, people uh, sometimes are com uh, confused uh, the concept of composition versus function, right? So the typical, uh, let's say, microbiome survey is based on 
answering the question who's there so what kind of what kind of microbes make up the system so that basic microbiome survey does not really include the functions performed by those microbes so if we want to know what the functions are we will have to uh, look for other techniques that would allow us to look at the uh, metagenomic makeup of those microbial communities. So that's that's one of the misconceptions. People know that the typical microbiome survey would really reveal both uh, composition and function, but that's not the case. To go to function, there needs to be additional analysis to be performed. Another misconception that people tend to have is that microbes are easily or can be easily manipulated and that can be immediately translated to a phenotype of, of, of a desired phenotype of interest. Uh, uh, that's a misconception because we're still far away from, uh, let's say, managing to, to manipulate microbiomes specifically to twig or to... to to have a, a phenotype of interest. That's 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 still that's still in infancy mm. in the in the swine microbiome world. Um, um, those are probably one of the two misconceptions that I that I hear most when I interact with with people that are novice in the area of microbiomes and want to have you know want to perform want to perform microbiome microbiome work. Another thing is a is a for. Uh, you know, uh, designing an experiment uh, uh, or in, in the microbiome field as far as looking at the effect of different additives or, uh, or different, let's say, drugs or, or, or any other compound that would have the promise to modify uh, health or phenotype in, in pigs is number of samples. You know, we tend to look at very few number of samples uh, in any given experiment, and what we've demonstrated that uh, more than, uh, let's say, the depth at which you look at the uh, microbial system, the number of samples that you uh, use in a given experiment, the power is, is very important. Uh, so looking at any kind of effect on, on, on any additive, on peak performance, as in the context of the microbiome, is, is not going to be attained using 10 or 9 pigs per treatment. You know, you, you need to look at, at you know, at, at many more pigs just to be able to get closer into that, uh, into, into looking at what specific effect has your additive into the microbial communities and see how that is being reproducing in the phenotype of the pig. Mm, very nice, especially the, the high variation that you mentioned, right? So that large sample size will definitely help there, right? Yeah, yeah. So, we, so with la large sample sizes, we, we guarantee that, that we are able at least to counteract some of this, some of that inter-individual variation. But, but, you know, as far as where we're going with the, with the pig microbiome world, I think we still need to do a lot of fishing expeditions. So we call it fishing expeditions, but uh, I would say hypothesis generating work. You know, we, we still need to uh, take a look at, at pig systems uh, right from the beginning. So right now we're doing a lot of work in my lab looking at the piglets microbiome uh, before birth. So looking at what happened to the sow, what happened to different feeding strategies in the sow in gestation, and how that contributes to seeding the microbiome in the piglet at the very beginning. I think those surveys needs to be, or those work, those experiments need to be done before you are able to devise any kind of feeding intervention or, or 
let's say, uh, uh, additive intervention to be able to modify or to manipulate a specific phenotype in pigs. We need to know what happens with the, with the seeding of the piglet microbiome right from the very beginning. And this is something we're, we're doing very intensely here in my lab right now. Very nice. Andres, uh, what information or benefits can we get from gut microbiome research in the swine nutrition, health, and production fields? I would say the biggest benefit. So, so the microbiome is an interface that, so is, is the one part of the genome of the pig that we can modify immediately. You know, you can do genetic improvement with pigs and look, you know, after certain generations to see if you have improved a phenotype of interest. But the, but the excitement about the microbiome is that is the, is the one part of the genome of the pig that we can modify hmm. to see if we can obtain, uh, you know, a desired uh, a phenotype. So um, I would say that the, the microbiome is the, is the interface, for instance, between feeding and the genome. So whatever kind of feeding strategy that you implement on your pigs is going to be directly influenced by microbes so that's one of the one of the things that the, the people in the in the in the feeding industry can expect uh in the feeding pig industry can expect about about microbes anything any kind of feeding intervention needs to be or, or is intimately associated with what happens with the microbiome so looking at you know usually when you look at when you have any kind of you know uh, feeding trial uh, in the swine nutrition field, you just feed the additive and you just see what happens with performance, right? You see if, the, right. if, if there was a weight gain, uh, if there was uh, feed and efficiency increased. But I would say by not looking at what happens at the microbiome, you, you're losing a, a, a piece of the picture. Because if you are able to trace what specific changes the microbiome experiences upon feeding certain, you know, or, specific uh, uh, feed additives, you can formulate a more targeted approach, uh, especially if you know what specific microbes change, you're able to formulate a targeted approach to improve efficiency of the animal systems. So in other words, uh, uh, looking at changes in feed efficiency and weight gain uh, upon feeding certain additives and not looking at, at the microbiome becomes a black box, right? Because you want to know the microbiome is the, is the engine uh, transforming that feedstuff into, into, into a bioavailable material that the pig is going to take advantage of. Of course, that depends on the nature of the, uh, of the feed uh, additive. But, but I would say that's, that's the most important piece of information that, let's say, uh, pig nutritionists or swine nutritionists can get from microbiome work. What specific communities and functions change in function of the feeding additive that is being fed? And by looking at that, you're able to tweak, to, to adjust, uh, let's say, the formulation of your feed or the composition of your feed to either enhance or boost or even inhibit the growth or the function of certain microbes to make this grow faster and more efficient. I would say that in a nutshell, that's what I'm most excited about when it comes to swine microbiome work. That by, by looking at these specific feeding strategies at the molecular level, we can know what specific members of the microbiome increase or decrease, and we can reformulate uh, those feed additives 
in a way they can the 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 desired performance or or the desired effect or phenotype can be streamlined or can be obtained faster. But without looking at the microbiome, you're not gonna you, you're not gonna get that picture. Very very interesting, Andres. That sounds like a lot of work ahead of you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think this is a very exciting time to to work in microbiomes. I I, I couldn't I, I couldn't pick a better topic, you know, to to run a lab than microbiomes right now because everybody wants to know, everybody wants to have the secret, you know, what what kind of specific <laughs> manipulation yeah. can we can we what kind of specific strategy can we implement to manipulate microbes, and and as a result. Uh, improve health and performance in, in animal systems. However, we need to remember that the microbiome is only a piece of the puzzle, right? So along with microbiome information, we, need, we also need information on functional genomics of the animal. We need information on nutrition. We need information, information on the metabolites that are, that are being produced uh, by the microbiome upon feeding certain uh, food additives. So by looking at these questions in an integrated manner, I think uh, people that work in the nutrition and the, and the swine health field could have a better assessment of whether their additives or their, or their um, let's say, products and their, or their any other kind of, uh, let's say, product that is being formulated to improve health works, right? Without, if right. you don't look at these different components of the system, microbes, functional genomics, metabolites, um, uh, feeding, uh, I would say you're, you're missing a very important part of the puzzle, and, and I don't think you will be able to adjust and to, and to tweak uh, your formulation to make animals you know, healthier and, and more productive. That makes sense. Any uh, final words on microbiome, uh, Andres, before we move to the three questions we ask every guest? Well, I would say, you no. Know, my final work, I would say, you know, the microbiome is a very exciting field of, of, of the animal and human health world right now uh, i would say that to 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 um, move forward with with uh, plans about new feed additives new uh, uh, management strategies always take a look at the microbiome see what the microbiome uh, reveals I, I would predict marcio that in the future in 10 years from now microbiome is going to become pcr hmm. that means every lab in any university or any lab in any company that you know makes science, or that you know makes feedstuffs or any other, other kind of feed additive is going to have a microbiome station, just to look at how microbiomes change or my, how microbial communities change upon feeding certain you know feeding additives. So, so I, I would say my final word is is for for especially for people that work in the in the in the swine industry, especially when it comes to feedstuffs and, and, and nutrition. You gotta take a look at the microbiome because you, you, if if you don't do that, you're missing a big piece of the puzzle. Very nice. Celebrating its 25th anniversary, Gestalt manufactures the original wireless standalone swine feeding system, designed by pork producers for pork producers. They are simple, reliable, and provide peace of mind 24/7, 365 days a year. Gestalt is not just manufactured by an equipment company but by a family pork production business with a slat-level understanding. Just all, always one step ahead in swine feeding. It is time to our famous three. 
Andrew is going to the three questions we ask every guest, every episode. What is your favorite swine-related book? Oh, well, my favorite swine-related book. Well, you know, Marcio, my, my, my background, even though it's animal science, uh, my background was never... Uh, I was I was I was I wasn't uh, uh, let's say a swine person in my early stages of of uh, training. Uh, I my training was with with non-human primates, and that's how I let's get got connected to the uh, to the to the uh, microbial ecology world. Or or maybe go, maybe another way to ask is that your favorite gut related book. Uh, God, okay, that's a better question. So, <laughs> so we say gastrointestinal microbiology is a is a is a is a is a and of course you know it's it's written actually and edited uh, by actually by my advisor or my PhD in the University of Minnesota, Brian White and Rod Mackey. This is a this is the Bible of microbiomes. It's the Bible of of, of uh, microbial ecology when it comes to gut microbiomes. It was written in the 1990s. Mm-hmm. It has two volumes, and it's called Gastrointestinal Microbiology. Okay. So this book was edited and written by the founding fathers uh, of the microbial ecology uh, world when it comes to gut microbiome. So anybody who's interested um, in, in microbial ecology, anybody who's interested in microbiome work when it comes to monogastrics or ruminants, needs to be aware of that book. It's called Gastrointestinal Microbiology. So mm-hmm. it's not a swine book, but there's also a lot of chapters and, and, and sections dedicated to the swine gastrointestinal tract and its microbiome. Very interesting. Yeah, I was not aware of that. So what is your favorite book unrelated to swine besides the gut books? <laughs> of any topic? Any topic. Oh, my God. That's... Um... That's uh, I would say Malcolm X, the, the autobiography of Malcolm X. I don't know, mm-hmm. I don't know if it has anything to do with microbiomes or, but it, for me it's been a very inspiring book, uh, not only from a personal but also from a professional standpoint. The the autobiography of Malcolm X. Very nice, very good. And the last question, Andres, is what, in your opinion, sets apart successful professionals from those who are not? Well, I can talk. I can talk from my experience and also from my experience advising students. Uh, and what's made me, well, I don't know if I'm 100% successful. I would like to know, I would like to know that I am. But what, what's made me successful in this field, I would say, is the opportunity to experience science from different angles. So don't just focus on the specific narrow question that you have. Try to look at your question. Try to look at different angles of science to to get a better assessment of, of the, the system that you're, you're trying to understand. So, for example, in my career, I've been very fortunate of working with very, let's say, a wide range of uh, seemingly very disparate uh, people mm-hmm. uh, in different areas of science. I've worked with anthropologists. I've worked with psychologists, psychiatrists. Uh, people that work in the cancer field, people that work in the ecology field, architects, um, you know, uh, you name it. Very, very different, very different uh, and, and diverse range of scientists. 
have allowed me to look at the problems that I deal with on an everyday basis uh, from very different perspectives. So I guess my, 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 I would say what separates a successful professional in my field to, to other people is the willingness to listen to, to different opinions and, and to diversify the science that you do. Uh, in many different fields, that different that those different assessments of science and and on to the problem you're addressing are going to help you deal and understand uh, the questions that you have better. I would say that's that 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 for me it's what what's what's made me successful in the in the field that I'm dealing with, and also this is what I try to tell my students all the time. You know, whenever you have a chance to look at different problems, different questions, um, in a general way, I would, I would take advantage of that. Multidisciplinary approach. I love it. Very nice. Exactly. Exactly. Very cool. That's the word. Multidisciplinary approach. Well, thanks a lot, uh, Dr. Gomez. Uh, your time is much appreciated and I'm sure you, you shed a lot of light on this subject for me and, and for the audience as well. Oh, Marcia, thanks so much. I really enjoyed the conversation. <laughs> it was a very fun conversation. I hope uh, uh, my insights on the microbiome world uh, were of interest to the public. And, you know, I can be reached at um, uh, the University of Minnesota Animal Science Department in case, you know, there's any other specific questions about microbes, which is what we love to do around here. Perfect. Thanks a lot, Andres. Have a good day. Thank you, Marcia. You too. Bye-bye.